I, uh, Ron, thanks for being sensitive to the spirit today. And uh, Lexi, uh, the two of you have essentially already spoken what God's laid on my heart today in your worship and in your prayer. Let's pray. Lord, um, I'm about to do something that terrifies me. To handle the most powerful and precious thing on the planet, your word. I'm not worthy to pick it up on my own. Little known speak it. But Father, by your love demonstrated through Christ and your spirit given to me. You cause us as humans to somehow engage in your plan and interact with this truth, this thing we call your word. I pray, Lord, that you would remove the things that are of my flesh that you would remove distractions from our, from our ears today, that we would hear what your spirit would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm already crying. I haven't even started to preach yet. <laughs> we've been on a journey these last couple of weeks. Uh, we've been looking uh, through a series on salvation and uh, we've had uh, my, the, my favorite preacher of all time, uh, Steve Deneff, launch us off. You remember he talked about uh, redemption of the whole person. Uh, salvation, he said, wasn't a transaction, but the very beginning of a life that grows out from within us. And that it starts and ends with the individual, but it includes the redemption of a person's community. Remember that? And then uh, Pastor Mark Worth here from, uh, from the Sussex Wesleyan Church talked about us not neglecting our salvation, working out our salvation and practicing soul care. And then Danny Smith, Lindsay's pastor, came and gave us a solid definition of the gospel and talked about our new identity in Christ and salvation transforms our very nature, that we're adopted as God's children and declared us to be holy in God's sight. And we've listened to preachers and who have told us about redemption and transformation and new identity and adoption. And sometimes I'm afraid that we sit back with a bit of a ho-hum attitude, waiting for something with just a little more substance, just a little more meat. We think to ourselves, do these guys realize that we're in Bible college? that we're studying for the ministry? Well, brother, I would have preferred a much more robust analytical discourse on the subject of soteriology. That's salvation for those of you who don't know that word. Perhaps focusing on the deeper aspects of justification and sanctification with reference to the sacramental aspects of the faith that open up our understanding of the divine grace of our good heavenly Father. Sometimes I get scared that we're so wrapped up in perfecting what we know that we forget about what we're actually doing in the gospel, what we're engaged in. We're like, 
rocket scientists fussing over the metallurgy of our rivets and how they might affect our propulsion and aerodynamics. And we've lost the wonder and amazement of the fact that we've come to build something that takes man from Earth to the moon. Or we're like software engineers trying to figure out how to get another nanosecond faster response out of a processor. And we've lost the amazement that we can take this aluminum, plastic, and glass thing in our hand. And we can have a face-to-face conversation with somebody on the other side of the freaking world. We're lost in the minutiae of the details and we've forgotten the wonder of our destination. Or dare I say, today, we sit in the middle of Passion Week between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. And we're just like the Pharisees and the bystanders of Jerusalem, going through just another day like every other, entering into just another Passover feast and missing the visitation of the great king of kings. Luke records it in chapter 19. When he, Jesus, said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethphage and and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say this, the Lord needs it. Skipping to verse 35, they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. The king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory and the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I'll tell you, If they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. As he approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes, for the day will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone another on you, because... You did not recognize your time of visitation. My hope and prayer today is that we will be encouraged to remember the magnificent reality of the salvation that we offer and not lose sight of its magnitude in the midst of our minutiae. I have a little sister. Her name is Jane. Uh, the kids call her Santy Jane because uh, she loves to spoil them when she comes to visit. And uh, well, Santy Jane wasn't always known as Santy Jane growing up. Uh, there were other names that I had for her um, as a little sister. Um, the one that probably sticks with me the most is that she was the Hulkajaniac. Um, growing up in the 80s, I was born in the very early 70s, before many of you were born, most all of you were born, um, before, like back when WWF wrestling was really real, okay, um, 
my family, my dad and my sister especially, they were like fanatics about WWF wrestling. And my sister was the biggest Hulkamaniac ever. I mean, she would, she had the whole pose down and you, she had the whole thing, right? And so she, she called herself the Hulkajaniac. And she actually believed, like my dad, my dad would, my dad was very much like, it's unfortunate I'm doing the same thing to my own daughter. Um, we don't have favorites, by the way, as fathers. Um, my dad did. Her name was Jane. And, uh, and, and, and uh, he knows that. Um, and uh, so my sister, uh, my sister believed, my dad, w w my dad convinced my sister that she was stronger than me. And, uh, and, so, and, th and that she had to be careful. Like, he didn't want us to fight. So rather than telling her, you know, you know, leave your brother alone, he would say, Jane, you know, your brother's older, but you're stronger and you're faster. You got, you got to take it easy on him, okay? You got to, you know. And my sister would practice these Hulkamaniac moves. Seriously, I can remember coming home from school, she'd be like, come here, come here, come here. And I'm like, what? She's like, I want to do the DDT on you. If any of you don't know what that is, you turn the person upside down and you slam them down on their heads in the ground. I'm not going to really do it to you, but just come here. And I'm stupid enough sometimes to do it. You can picture. But just sit on the bed, Jane. Don't like actually hit my head on the floor. So anyway, but the Hulkajaniac is more what, what she, was, she was known as. But the reality was that I knew I was stronger and I was faster. But it didn't stop her. She believed she was stronger. And so she would pick and pick and pick. And she would like, don't go in my room, don't go in my room. And then she'd be in my room. <laughs> and she would, and, and, and of course, dad would say the same thing to me. You know, hey, listen, you know, your little sister, keep your hands off her, right? And we just, we were a little adversarial growing up. And she would pick at me until I was about ready to go into a rage. And just at the point when I would... I need to back up. <laughs> when I was in grade two, um, I, uh, I, I couldn't see the board. Uh, and didn't know why I was so... Well, I would say stupid, but that wouldn't be the right thing to say. Why I had such a hard time in school. Discovered I just couldn't see. And every year growing up, I got a new pair of glasses because I couldn't see. And by the time I was a teenager, my eyesight was so bad, I really could barely find my way around the house without my glasses. And in the 80s, of course, in the 80s, we did glasses right in the 80s. I mean, they were like windshields on the front of our faces. But they were enormous, but they were subtle. Like, we didn't have these big, enormous frames like they had in the 50s or now, which I'm about to get. But, um, but we had these enormous windshields that had these tiny little metal frames, and they were awesome. But for a guy like me who couldn't see anything, when I took them off my face and set them down, I couldn't find them. They were invisible. So in the midst of this rage, when I'm about to like pounce on my sister, she lunges, grabs my glasses off of my face. Time after time after time she'd do this. And she would start running around the house and she'd slam her hand down here and she'd slam her hand down here and she'd slam her down down here. And I'd start, I'd be like... <laughs> trying to find these invisible glasses, constantly trying to find these invisible glasses. She took away my ability to focus. She slowed me down with a bit of distraction. I couldn't keep my eyes on the goal of hurting her. And the enemy does the same thing to us here. Subtly, sometimes, he gets us off the goal of a deeper, richer relationship with him. 
about preparing our hearts for ministry and he gets our eyes on the distraction of finding that guy or that girl or making straight A's or playing in the band. Some of us are so wrapped up in improving our theological distinctives amongst ourselves in here that we've lost the common focus on the goal that we all have in Christ to be like Jesus to the very people that we're here to learn to reach. The gospel. Salvation. The truth that sins separate us from God and that all of life suffers from that separation. Through Christ's atoning death and resurrection, we have hope of a new transformation in Christ. The truth that ultimately what we believe points to a day when we will once again see him as he is, face to face. Do you wonder? Do you wonder what it will be like to see him? 1 John chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. At the end of the day, the result of the message that we have in salvation, the hope that we cling to, at the end of what we do, at the end of the preaching and the evangelism and the study and the setup and the teardowns and the sermon prep and the musical practice and the reading assignments and the papers and the exams, the roommates, the cafeteria, the mission trips, the chapel attendance, internships, marriage, children, church, ministry, prayer, tears, graduation, student loans, at the end of it all is for that moment when we will see him face to face. And he will look us in the eye and we will watch his lips form the words, I love you. Well done. You realize the whole climax of our salvation is heaven. To return to being with him Salvation equals God with us. God with us equals heaven. If we were to do a survey today in town about what people here on earth are longing for, we would see clearly that God has truly set eternity in the hearts of man. There are people here who are lonely and they're longing for fellowship. It's found there in heaven. People who are just afraid and are looking for a place without anxiety, it's coming. People who are overwhelmed with life and just looking for peace, the Prince of Peace sits on the throne there. People who are beaten up by sinful people on earth are looking for a place of complete safety and healing, it's coming. There are people who are polluted by their experiences in this life looking for a place where they can just finally feel completely clean. It's there. 
people who are soiled by the immoral context that we live in and long for a place of righteousness and beauty. It's coming in heaven. People who are tired of selfishness and fighting and war and want a place without turmoil. It's coming too. There are people who have had it with the physical and mental limitations of their own body. They're looking for a new earth suit. It's coming. Grieve earth's gross injustice, poverty, homelessness, abortion, sex trade, and long for a place of perfect justice. That's what we're talking about in heaven. Some of us can't wait to talk with the saints of old, to walk with them and ask them questions. Some of us have followed Jesus for a really long time and we just want to see him face to face. What will it mean to live in perfect face-to-face presence of God? A life without fear. Where we'll never feel unloved. A place where we'll experience peace like we've never known it. Where there'll be power and clarity and freedom and new discoveries and feasting. (laughs) And unfettered joy and worship and purpose and understanding where we'll be feeling fully alive. Our senses will be near overload all the time. You realize that in heaven is going to be so incredible that God has to give us new bodies just to experience it. Salvation means all things will become new. Revelation chapter 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away what we so often pass over as baby christian stuff has written within it the ultimate end of our faith salvation equals heaven heaven equals god with us And God with us equals the curse is broken. No more curse. Say that with me. No more curse. Revelation 22. Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like the crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the broad street of the city, the tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing this fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are healing, are for the healing of nations, and there will no longer be any curse. Have you ever stopped to realize that what we believe is really real? If you believe there's a God, there are other things that flow out of it. The reality of hell and the reality of heaven. 
Remember what we said about salvation equaling heaven? Sometimes I think we don't like to mention heaven because we've got such a messed up view of it. Like we've grown up watching Wile E. Coyote after he falls off the cliff in this kind of vague white robe and little, little, uh, little wings and the little harp kind of fly up in the road runner, you know, watches him go up into heaven. You know, where we looked at pictures of babies with wings on them or angels in the cloud and the reality is that heaven is none of that. Heaven is God with us, and the curse is no more. No more curse. And we have so little idea of what that means. And that's what I felt the Lord draw me to today, to share with you what it means to have no more curse. Say it with me, no more curse. No more curse means no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hunger, no more fear, no more grief. Say no more curse. No more suffering, no more sin, no more death, no more aging, no more sickness, no more disease, no pollution, no more loneliness, no more terror. What is it? No more terror, no more anxiety, no more depression or lying or dishonesty or cheating or deceit or sexual perversion. No more criticism, no more fault finding, no more blaming others, no more false religions, no more stealing, no more jealousy, no more quarreling, no more screaming outbursts of anger, no more hatred, no more revenge, no more violence, no more war, no more crime, no broken relationships, no phonies, no hypocrites, no hardness of heart, no dullness of hearing, no blindness, no doubt, no frustration, no racial or economic inequality, no more apathy, no more curse. No indifference, no lust, no pornography, no materialism, no impatience, no slothfulness, no inconsistencies, no procrastination, no neglect, no gossip, no slander, no addiction, no legalism, no self-hatred or mistrust or accidents or self-separation. No more curse. No more defeat, no more injustice, no more poverty or famine or hunger or natural disasters, no more threats to our well-being, no more terrorism, no more being victimized, no more confusion about who we are or what we're worth, no more placing all of our values on what we look like or what we own or what we produce. No more curse. means no more taxes, no more money, no more greed, no more hoarding, no more police fire protection, no more locks, no more insurance, no more coffins or cemeteries or Kleenex, no more doctors, no more hospitals, no more criminal activity, no more curse. means no more impurity or unhealthy entertainment, no coarse joking, no people going to bed hungry or afraid, no murder or abortions or demonic activity or attacks, no more manipulation or, or, or competition, no rejection, no blame, no condemnation, no suicide, no more God-mocking or dishonesty, no more death, no more curse. This is what we infer when we talk about salvation. It's what we offer This is the substance of what we believe and what we promise. This is the infinitely priceless and endless gift that we trivialize because of its plain, familiar wrapping we call salvation. Salvation means no more curse. We're designed to live forever. Someday, you and I will have to completely relearn how to live. You ever hear the phrase that you're no heavenly minded, that you're no earthly good? That's not our problem. I think sometimes we get so earthly focused that we lose sight of the heaven we represent and promise. 
We're born dead in our trespasses and in our sin. And then we are offered salvation and God breathes new life into us and we become spiritually alive. It's like we start living life in color where God seems to give us new lenses and we experience life in a vibrant, exciting way. And then without warning, the enemy comes and snatches those lenses off our face and he starts slamming them down over here and over there and this distraction and that and he confuses us and he slows us down to keep our eyes off the end goal to know and follow hard after God. Our challenge today is to stop. Stop just for a minute and realize what distractions the enemy may have brought into our own minds and lives. And realize that he's stolen our lenses of our wonder and amazement. I remember when I was younger, I mentioned to you before, I literally got a new pair of glasses every year from grade two until like I was in my early 20s. Because it happened so often, there were things that I began to anticipate every time I left the store with a new pair of glasses. The stairs, they seemed a little closer. The lights seemed almost brighter. But then I would go outside and I would see the sky And what had been kind of vague gray clouds had become streaks of white wisps that chased the wind. And buildings that had individual bricks again. (laughs) And my favorite part, I will never forget this, my favorite part would be to look across the parking lot at the trees and see the leaves wrestling in the wind again. You see, I couldn't see that. My eyes had gotten blurry with my old lenses. It was an amazing feeling to be reminded of the beauty that I couldn't see with those weak lenses that I'd gotten used to. My challenge today, in the middle of Holy Week, is to not get caught up in the crowd watching just another man die on a cross today. Not to nonchalantly go through the rest of the day of, and, and week of assignments and lunch in the cafeteria and then something to do in the evening and back up into Easter. But to raise your head above the distractions and realize that we celebrate the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I pray that if over the next few weeks, these last few weeks, you have looked upon this topic of salvation as just for new baby Christians that you grab your lenses back from the enemy and realize a new wonder of what we promise and believe let's not be like many in Jerusalem that day desensitized by the familiar scene of just another man on a cross and miss the most monumental moment in human history Let's not be the ones that Christ look upon with pity and weep because we didn't recognize our time of visitation. Because at the end of the day, when this life is all over, we will not be celebrating our theological distinctives or relishing our great doctrine. Revelation chapter 7 tells us what we'll be celebrating. After this, I looked And there was a vast multitude from every nation, 
tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were robed in white with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. That's what will come out of our mouths. It won't be celebrating any of the other stuff. It'll be salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and under the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. This week, let's move through Holy Week on purpose. Let's engage with the familiar with a renewed passion for the passion. Let's see salvation as the most unrecognized, familiar truth that we could possibly celebrate in our lives because salvation belongs to God. And salvation equals no more curse. Amen? No more curse.